Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time to break the silence and open up the dialogue around the topics of miscarriage and baby loss. No more shame. No more taboo. Let's ditch it for the sake of our children. The ones who are, the ones who will come. And in memory of the ones who never came to be. This is the Worst Girl Gang Ever podcast. This is part two of our chat with Tulip. To listen to the first part of her story, head back to last week's episode. Tulip, I wanted to ask you about support that you had from, um, well, from everyone, family, friends, your husband. How how was the support around you? Yeah, no. So I had I had a bereavement midwife. Some hospitals don't have them, and I I just don't know how, um, you know how they don't because they mm. were valuable to me. Um, her name was Sarah, and she was just wonderful. Um, I also have very close family and friends um, and they were hugely supportive. Um, I think, I think, and I'm not sure if you've done a, I'm sure you have done an episode on this, um, but I think the way miscarriage and, and pregnancy loss and baby loss can affect um, a marriage or a partnership, you know, with your partner is, is huge. And mm-hmm. you know, myself my husband are very much still kind of working through things because we both saw it very very differently um for Carl it was very much um you know the way he was able to digest it and deal with it was this is a miscarriage it's really common we just need to move on and get on with it um whereas for me certainly with the two late losses um it didn't feel like that yeah um, at all so we we sort of it was difficult frankly to support each other because you know Carl preferred to see this as as our in the in a very similar way to our two earlier losses um which were which were very sad but you know it, it, it was different certainly for me um that we can just move on from it and you know I think I think he at the time certainly would have preferred not to do a funeral or anything like that. Um, I felt we really needed to do that and we did do it. Um, so I so, think there was certainly a Sorry, challenge. do you have, is there a choice? And at what, how, how many weeks of pregnancy does it not become so, a choice? Yeah, this is all really interesting. We, we looked into this. So this is why the kind of words we use <laughs> is so important and why mm. miscarriage is so um kind of opaque and 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 mixed up depending on where you are in the world yeah. because 
Because so in the UK, for example, uh, a miscarriage is up to 24 weeks, as you know. Um, and after that, it's considered a stillbirth. Now, mm. when you have a stillbirth, the baby, the baby's birth and death is re- registered on a stillbirth register. The baby is acknowledged that it that that you know is acknowledged that it existed in the world. Before that, um, there isn't anything. Although there's a campaign at the moment to try and get a certificate for babies if yeah. parents, yeah, to, to have before twenty four weeks. So now in the US, um, a stillbirth is defined as from twenty weeks. So from that point, you know, there's a stillbirth register and that, you know, uh, and so so had I have had River in um, the US, I'd have just been a few days off him being a stillbirth and, you know, having a proper plan, you know, plan in place for what happens after a stillbirth. Now for miscarriage, it's, it's, it's all a bit up in the air. You know, you're supposed to have choice, but you're often not given the choice. We had no idea what to do in our situation. And... Yeah. And, you know, like I said, we were given these leaflets about funerals and and postmortems and things like that. But I never, this is something that had never crossed my mind because they kept using the, the phrase miscarriage. So I just thought, well, is this a stillbirth or is this a miscarriage? Yeah. Um, so I think, so from, from 12 weeks to, from 12 weeks, it's a second trimester loss. And I think at that point, depending on where which hospital you're in, and and frankly, who you happen to see that day, who's on the ward that day, um, you might be given information about you know what you might want to do with the baby, whether you want to see the baby. They might just ask you there and then, or if they know that you're go- or if you're going to have to give birth, and they know that that's going to happen, you know, some hours or a couple of days before, they can talk you through options. Again, that doesn't always happen. In fact, many mm. people just going home and having their baby at home which is what happened to a number of people I spoke to as part of my um, series so it's just a complete it's a little bit of a free-for-all really and it's down to it's just down to luck and who you get on the day and how well informed they are and and you know what facilities they they have there you know if there's a bereavement midwife that they'll be very clued up on this kind of thing so I had a bereavement midwife so they could take me through the options of having a funeral so for us for example um, and this is lovely. This is something I didn't know. So King's Hospital in London, they, whether you whether you ask for it or not, they have a service for for lost babies. Now, I don't know from what time they do that. I think it's from 12 weeks, but it could be from, you know, from six um, where they they have a service. They they put the baby's um, remains together and they they have a service it's either a cremation or a burial and again the parents should, are, the parents are asked whether they want either of those um and uh, but even if they even if it even if they don't respond or they you know there's no response they will there'll be a service it's done at either the local burial site or the crematorium which is where we had our cremation and um and a, and a, and a priest does a blessing and i just thought that was really nice mm. it's lovely that's really lovely i remember with I I so agree with you that the, the procedures need to be standardised because when we lost our baby, I remember a midwife saying, "You can choose to take the baby home." Because I was in hospital, and my husband was like, "Yeah," I was like, "No, no, I don't, I don't want that." And my husband was like, "Yes, I really do want that." And then we got left by ourselves, and he chatted, and he was like, "You know, this is it's one of our babies. We've got to do this. We've got to take the baby home." That's we're family that's where the sorry it's where the baby belongs and stuff 
<clears throat> and I very quickly came round to that way of thinking and decided. But by that time, that the midwife who had told us that, or the the nurse who had told us that, had gone, and the other, the next one came through and was like, "No, that's that's you. No, you you can't. That's not an option." And Rob was like, "Well, we you, we were told," and it, he really, really stood up for me and us when I just didn't have anything left. And he was out in the corridors. He was out. Well, this is during COVID as well. And they kept telling him to go back in. He was like, not until you, because then they said, oh, you have to fill in a form. We don't know where the form is. And he was like, right, I need this form right now because we are taking our baby home. Because at this point they'd taken, you know, what they called at the time, our products of conception off in a little pot. And that was it. And he was terrified that we wouldn't get to see our baby or to have our baby back and to take home and stuff. But the fact that that can happen the fact that a simple changeover of staff may mm. mean the difference between whether you are able to take your baby home or not is is absolutely crazy, isn't it? It's just not right. That just exemplifies it, you know, in a really sad way. And I'm really sorry that that happened to you. But but yeah, but like it, it totally depends on the person you get on shift that day. Yeah. It's not hospital by hospital, it's shift by shift. Yeah. And also that we, we really struggled with the masks, you know, because it was mid-COVID and um, people whose English wasn't their first language with the masks as well, that barrier, just being able to get yourself understood was such a struggle. And we Rob really, really stuck his, stuck his heel in, which is not like him at all. But we did get to bring our baby home and we did bury him or her in, in, a, in a big pot and lovely rows and stuff. But which is also that, you know, that that tangible thing that you were talking about earlier, that kind of way of like, when I walk past that rose, I feel like the baby's there and I sometimes talk to him or her and that sort of thing, which is really, really helpful. But the fact that we went through that experience of not knowing whether it was possible and the fact that Rob really, really dug his oar in and said, no, this is happening, you need to sort it out, Mm -hmm. is that lots of other couples will have been in that situation and they wouldn't have done that and they wouldn't have got to bring their baby home. Or that bereavement midwife wouldn't have been working that day. Yeah. Yeah, and they wouldn't have known that it was even an option. Yeah. That's why it's so important that we advocate for ourselves. But what makes me really sad is that people who listen to this podcast, if they go on to have another loss, they'll have these, they'll have listened and they're and to our podcast and they'll know mm. that these things can happen. But if people like you, Bex, that first time that time when you went through it, why would you listen to this podcast unless you'd already been through loss? And it's those people who don't know where to go for yeah advice they don't know what's what is expected in those situations they're the people that i worry about it's just mm. because it doesn't really cross sad. your mind does it to, to to ask can i can i see can i can i see mm. um yeah. you know with an early loss when they've you know removed the baby and because it happened, it actually happened um, really sadly to the camera woman who who started working on the miscarriage series with me. She and I were pregnant at the same time, and she very sadly lost the pregnancy at seven weeks. Um, but she just started working on on the series with me, so she was quite well informed of everything. And, and she gave me a call from a hospital bed, and um, and she said, "You know, I I I asked to see, and I'm really really glad I did." Yeah, but it wouldn't. I mean, just you know, it would have almost felt. Um, I, rem- I remember feeling like grotesque, wanting to stay. Yeah, yeah. In this cold car, a bit macabre. Yeah, I just thought, what, you know, 
oh, what am I doing? Like, we're just supposed to leave, right? Because it, it, all of it goes against everything you think is going to happen. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's all upside down. And so to stay and do that felt, felt very, very strange. And there was real resistance even from me. Um, I mean, like I say, I'm glad I did it, but you just, and unless you're given, and the, the, I think the reason I was able to stay was because that midwife said to me, mm. if, if you want to stay, you can, you might need to. And it just gave me permission because I just yeah, felt yeah. like, you don't know, you don't know what to do in that situation. You know, you, so I think it's really good to be given options. And if, and if it, ha- you know, and if it happens to you, and again, you're right, sadly, people will only be listening to this after it's happened to them. Mm really want to get that information out there and we again we try to do this with a series of you know yeah like you say advocate for yourself ask even if you mm. might not be in the frame of mind at that time you know that this is the problem but but if you know ask ask for what you need it's so important yeah. that we um that we that we talk about it not just in the echo chamber of baby loss the baby loss world but just outside of it so that those who sadly do go through it know sort of where to turn and how to advocate for themselves but Julie I wanted to say earlier your um when you said that you phoned the recurrent miscarriage clinic every week to offer yourself up for the cancellation spots I've done that myself too and I would recommend it to anyone who's on a long waiting list keep phoning the secretary and um people do drop out and if you can be flexible you I mean what we got seen sooner I think it was like three months instead of you know, six or eight, I can't remember. Did you get seen seen sooner, Laura? Yeah. By, did you? Yeah. Yeah. Like, so my first appointment, when I went, waited to see the specialist, took six months and I didn't have the the tenacity to advocate for myself. That was that was my deep, dark hole era, that six months. Yeah. Um, but when I had all the tests done and then they said, we'll get the results in six weeks, I went to the desk, desk to book an appointment and they said, we can see you in six months. I said, but the results will be here in six weeks. And they said, but we can't see you for six months. I said, well, what am I going to do? Like, I, I need these results. And they were like, just have to wait for six months. And I was like, yeah, you reckon? So I phoned them every week until I got in sooner. <laughs> and how soon and was that? Yeah, six weeks. It was six, you say so you got seen in six weeks? Yeah, six or seven, something like that. Yeah, the results yeah, were only just in. Amazing. That's you're amazing. having to be, you're having to be feisty and you know forceful and at your most vulnerable time. And I yeah. just, it's just so much to ask. It's just so much to ask, and it's just, it's. I just think it's outrageous that that's the way it's set up. Because basically, if you don't, if you don't push, if you're not a bit bullish, you know, you you end up waiting. You know, and, and most people do end up waiting that long because yeah, yes, that's what happened to me with with River. In fact, I was never seen. I was never even put on the list and I should have been you know but you're just not in that space I can't believe that I can't believe that that you didn't get any extra care particularly after River yeah I mean I look you did in that if you if you instigated it you did so if I so if Mm. I went in for reassurance scans but then that's the same for everybody I guess right if you go in you want a reassurance scan like um Actually, no, it's not. If you think there's a problem, you get one, don't you? But if but if you just want a reassurance. So I was given reassurance scans when I needed them. Um, and I had the bereavement midwife. But it, in terms of like looking into what happened or try or trying anything else, that none of that was there. It was just, mm. yeah, yeah, it's just bad luck. 
Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. And how do you get a bereavement midwife? Is that something that's allocated to you or do you have to ask for one? So she was she was allocated to me. She she called up um, after. So I had a different bereavement midwife for River. Her name was Adita and she called afterwards. And I think... I think kind of the main, the kind of minimal, the the minimal thing they'll they'll that they'll do is help arrange what to do with the baby and talk to the funeral. Mm. I think I think they're generally used for later miscarriages and stillbirth. Mm-hmm. Um, but they but they said because I you know they said we you know we are available to anybody who has pregnancy loss. So they're not just for those, but I think they they tend to just cover those because again women don't know to ask for them right yeah you saw one didn't you bex yeah i had one i had one epu uh no i wasn't in the epu because oh, i had okay. to stay in the hospital and stuff but and she was, i remember her did you, Sorry, again? did you have to ask no her? not that i remember but you know so much of it is such a blur but i remember mm. there was one there was two there and one of them was really really young and she was very sweet but my overriding feeling was like, you just don't know. You just don't know. She must have been early 20s. And I didn't feel, you know, with some people you need to connect. She didn't have kids and she didn't, I just di- didn't feel com- comfortable enough to talk to her about how I was really feeling because I just thought there's no way that you can validate this grief because you've not been through anything like it. Um, and the other one was lovely. Ruth Paul, her name was, and she it reminded me of RuPaul. <laughs> that's that's the only reason I remember it. But she was lovely and I had a real, real like panic because they said they weren't gonna put me under for the DNC and then they said they were and then they said they weren't and I was tired and I wasn't allowed anything to eat and I was I just I've been like in hospital for nearly a week because everything just went to shit and I was just like in a real mess and I she left me her business card so I phoned her, she came straight away. And she's like, right, this is what's going to happen. And that's all I wanted is someone just to say, this is what's going to happen. And then I was, you know, reassured just just by just from knowing what the path was. And I think that's half the battle is you you get this bomb dropped on you and then you have to make, you know, make decisions. And you're like, how am I equipped to make these decisions when I don't fucking know? I didn't mean I didn't want any of this to happen. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do this. And you're pushed into making them, pushed into making them. And then I didn't even ask for a picture at my scan, you know, and that was a huge regret because I didn't know that that was an option. I didn't know that people regret that stuff going forward and stuff. So if we can get this education out there and when sonographers had to make have to break that terrible news, they could just subtly hand hand a picture over in an envelope and say, look, this is this is the scan picture. You might find it comforting at a later date. You know, that sort of thing that you just do not have a clue about. Like we were saying earlier, you just don't know. You don't know what to do. You're not equipped for this kind of upside down tragedy, is it? And, no. and that's where they—that's where the bereavement midwives really can come into their own. Like you said, mm. to just kind of tell, like, hold your hand a little bit through the, like, let you know what options are available to you. Um, and for me, it was—it was just some of the really basic stuff, like 
liaising with the funeral directors, mm. t- telling me what other parents did. Because yeah, know, yeah, how you know what do you do here? And and so yeah, and I did call. I mean, I did call a couple of times and just had quite long, you know, just long periods of silence on the phone to them. But it was just somebody because actually one of my bereavement midwives. Um, what a sentence one of my bereavement midwives yeah. got. Just hits you sometimes, don't you? You say something like that and you're yeah. like, oh, I've had more than How is that? How is that? Come <laughs> um, out? Yeah. But um, but yeah, Adita, she she happened that so bereavement midwives generally aren't with you when you have the baby. That that's not what bereavement midwives is, which mm. is what I thought they were. Um but she happened to be, she happened to come up and see me, and I went into labor very quickly with River. So she was actually with me when I had the baby. And I just found speaking to somebody who was there and again my husband found it very difficult to talk about what happened whereas for me talking to somebody who was there just again trying to like make it real in my head because I couldn't Mm. what happened that was very helpful Mm. and the last thing we wanted to to touch on briefly Tulip was the language because when we had our chat a few well about a month ago we talked about the language used and that you wanted to make changes there as well yeah, I think I touched on it a little bit, but it was, yeah, it's this, it's, so, you know, the way we talk about miscarriage, it's this whole idea that it's so common and therefore, mm. you know, we can all, we you know, it happens all the time to so many women, we can just get on with it. You know, it's not pleasant, it's not nice, but most women do go on to have a healthy baby and that, that, and that is true. Most women who have a miscarriage do go on to have a, a healthy baby. Um, so, you know, we should all just, you know, it's just part of life, sadly, let's, you know, let's get on with it. Um, and I think that's massively unhelpful because Mm. it, it silences us. It, it makes us, you know, carry on as normal when things are anything but normal, like getting on a plane and going to a refugee camp to do some reporting. I mean, yeah, that's a bit extreme. Uh, everyone's got their version of it. <laughs> yeah. Mm. You know, going into, you know, one lady was telling about how she went to her, um, she was an American lady, went to her kindergarten where she worked and she was like holding these little babies while having a miscarriage. Oh. Um, you know, my sister going into hospital, she's a doctor. There were teachers who, you know, said that they just went in and, and, and carried on um, people with very physical jobs. And um, and so I, I just think the way, the way we talk about it and this kind of one in four, um, I don't know. I don't know if you find it. The fact it's so common, somehow there's a rhetoric that kind of, well, that makes it okay or that makes it less devastating because it happens. Yeah. People I think try there and is, use that as a comfort, that. don't they? Yeah. I think That's there is that. The way, You're not the only one. Yeah. Right. The way we use that statistic for us is that, like, this is happening all the fucking time. We need to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and then, and then for me, I was just like, hang on a minute. (laughs) Like, you know, and even for late miscarriage or recurrent miscarriage, um, both of which I've had, that's one in a hundred. And that they Mm. describe that as rare. And I'm like, well, that's not that rare given how many women get pregnant. It's actually quite a few people that this happens to. And I think for me, when, when they started using, they were talking about miscarriage with my later losses because of my, and I think many of our um, sort of the way miscarriage is talked about, it doesn't include 
physically having giving birth, going into labor, giving birth and 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 seeing your baby and holding yeah. your baby. It's just that's not how people think about miscarriage. And so when you, for example, when I went back into work and I, you know, and I was like, oh yeah, you know, I had a miscarriage. But then I always felt like I had to follow up with where I gave birth to my baby. And yeah, because that you may not know this, but that is what a miscarriage also is. <laughs> it's not just, you know, bleeding for two weeks and then going back into work, which by the way, nobody ever, you know, it's never really that either, is it? It's just this, but that's this, that's how people think about miscarriage and talk about it. Like, oh, it's a long period and you're a bit yeah, sad. Period. Yeah. Listen down for a couple of days eating ice cream and then you go in. It's like, no. And that's precisely why the laws need to change with the whole maternity leave thing at 24 weeks, because you gave birth to a baby. You went through labour yet you're only entitled to well nothing off work are you my work was amazing thankfully and they did give me some good time off but you know I am I was very lucky and I'm I think I'm in the minority um and I think that's why you know some of the language around miscarriage it's not even language it's the understanding of what miscarriage is it's Mm. some of the basic stuff and again because miscarriage is defined differently depending on where you are in the world you know, the, the World Health Organization describe, um, defines miscarriages as anything up to 28 weeks. In the US, it's 20 weeks. You know, that is that is how different it is, depending on where you yeah. are. Which is on, madness. Yeah, if we can't even agree on a definition of miscarriage, then, you know, that just sort of sums up the whole the whole problem, really. Doesn't and the it? word itself is a bit shit as well, isn't it? Yeah. it's yeah. And that, you, you didn't know, carry we, it properly. No, and blighted ovum. So so I had my eight-week loss was a blighted ovum. Like blighted is like to ruin, like a blighted, like like the snow blighted the flowers in the winter. It's kind mm. of, and it, you know, ruined, destroyed. It's just like oh, chemical pregnancy. That was my other oh, one. Oh, incompetent cervix. That's one of my faves. Your, your cervix is incompetent. Mm. Um, but then there's loads of ones. You know, I was a geriatric mother. I was a geriatric mother. Yeah pregnancy because i'm 41 um so that was always nice yeah geriatric pregnancies anything over 35 as well which is a stinger it's yeah. ridiculous but um there are you know there are you're at increased risk as as you get older you know we know that but yeah geriatric <laughs> it's a bit shit isn't it because Jerry actually like you just imagine someone with a walking stick don't you Not- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well they could come up with it why don't you just say over over, over 35 say yeah what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or like a, a risk level just give it a number yeah I mean there's yeah. just so much work in every single part of this to like you know to the language we used to being told about miscarriage at school right because you, you're never told that this is a possibility you're just told that you're going to have kids and everything's going to be fine and actually that for one in four pregnancies that's not how it goes yeah to, you know standardizing care and making sure that it's not just luck of the draw of who you happen to get that day you know and making sure hospitals know what options there are and explain it you know I went to a conference with a bunch of um obstetricians gynecologists and they were talking about you know and again all these people are really trying to do their best often mm. without the resources they need and they were like oh you know but we don't want to upset people unnecessarily telling mm. them stuff that they might not need to know and it's like I think you just need to trust them to, you know, you just need to give them the information because like, 
you know you you, you need to know it was it was around um, it was around like what like the reality of having a, a late loss and what and what could or you know what could happen mm. um and you know because some people end up having this at home at least i was in a hospital some people end up having a late loss or you know their early loss at home and, mm. and they have their baby into their into the toilet that's where a lot of you know babies mm. end up being born into and and i was saying you need to tell them that where because the other bit of advice is to take the the baby out of the toilet so you can get it tested. I mean, you know, but but people need to know that because most people just flush the toilet, right? Yeah. Love these conversations because they're horrible. I was like, yeah, they're horrible, but they that's the reality. You know, that is the reality. Or or it might not happen that way for them, you know, and they don't want to anticipate something that might not happen for them. But in not telling people, yeah. in not giving them the, the knowledge of what's going to happen, it just makes the whole thing a hell of a lot scarier. And it makes you feel stupid for not knowing what to expect as well. Mm. Cool. Cool. So, so my original point there was just that every single part of miscarriage care, how we talk about it, school, you know, it, it just it just needs to be prioritised more because it clearly affects so many women and it's just not good enough. I mean, I was, and I'm still just outraged that we just expect women to get on with it most of the yeah. time it's just- it is crazy it's crazy and the um the thing that you were saying about school is that this is my point that my son who is uh nearly 12 he did this sex education bit in school and he asked the teacher whether they were going to learn about miscarriage and the teacher said no it's it's too sad and he came back and told me that and I thought yeah I thought there's you know I went through it while they while my older two were at school and if if we'd started teaching about it from a young age, how many of those kids have got a mum who who will potentially go through it, or or will come in contact with other children in the school whose mum is going through it? You know, it's a massive it's a massive thing for the whole family, and with later loss as well. If if we could teach kids how to support or how to support each other like siblings and stuff while their parents are going through that, then we're that's only going to be a good thing. And kids take on everything like they're lots sponges, aren't they? They're so mm. sort of straightforward about the information that they're given at school i just think we're doing everyone an injustice to not teach this sort of stuff what was it james said to the teacher he said um that he said are we going to be learning about miscarriages during the sex education but then he said well if you do want to know about it oh yeah the worst girl gang ever (laughs) yeah 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 he gave us a plug, obviously. <laughs> in his classroom. <laughs> Sorry, I thought I thought you meant our thing had cut out when I said oh, that. Oh, no, no. no. Yeah, yeah, ledge. <laughs> Bless him. Oh, well. Oh, Chilip, it was so lovely to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us. No worries, no worries. Thank you for having me. That was really, it was really good to talk. We'll, um, we'll pop some links in the show notes. I wonder, is the... Uh, um, the documentary still yeah, available and around. You now it's on the um, so yeah, it's on the BBC iPlayer. So if you just search "miscarriage" on the BBC iPlayer, called uh, "miscarriage search for answers," and wonderful, send that over to you as well. Real, brilliant. Thank you so much.
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.